Amen. Well, it is great to be back together this week. I'm glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, As Gary alluded to, I sort of secretly hoped that we would be back in person maybe this week or next, but alas, I had never really dreamed of spending a second Easter gathered only online, Uh, but in the same breath, we're so thankful that we can still gather the way we can online. It's been a year that Many of us maybe want to forget for so many reasons, but here we are. But here's the thing, even though so much has happened and we're, you know, six in a room instead of a hundred in a room and we're gathered sort of scattered around the Bull Valley and across the province and across the the country and world, I, I saw as we watched people log in, it's still a special day. Because there's one thing that that no virus, no pandemic, no restrictions can stop, and that's us being a community of faith. That's us marking the importance of that faith and celebrating that faith and embracing that faith. And so in the midst of all that's gone on in the last 12 months now, it can be perhaps easy for us to lose sight of just how significant this weekend is for our faith. Because it is Palm Sunday weekend. Palm Sunday is the traditional beginning of what's been known throughout the history of Christianity as Holy Week. And Holy Week is a a week designed for us to focus our, our attention on the passion or the suffering of Jesus that resulted in his death and burial and also look towards the celebration of his resurrection. Often around Trinity, we talk about how great it is to sing some of these centuries-old hymns and think about the millions of Christians that have sung that song over the last 100, 200 years. But the tradition of Holy Week goes back even farther than that. It began when, when Christians who were making pilgrimages to Jerusalem just had a desire to start reenacting the last days of the events of, of Jesus' life. And they did these dramas to remember what had happened. There's an ancient text called the Pilgrimage of Agiria that dates back to the the 300s, so the 4th century, that describes this celebration of Holy Week already happening so that we know today that we're celebrating with at least 17 centuries worth of followers of Jesus as we recognize and celebrate Holy Week. There are five days that set this week apart. The first is, is Monday, Thursday. That's the evening where, where Jesus met with his disciples. They had the Last Supper and he washed their feet. It's the night when Jesus was betrayed. The word Monday is, is not one that you and I often use, I suspect. I don't use it anyways. But it's built off of the Latin word for command. That night as, as Jesus and his disciples were together, After they shared a meal, Jesus took the job of the lowliest servant and washed his disciples' feet. And he said to them, I actually listened to this in a reading plan this morning in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. Some churches still do a service on Monday, Thursday, and and many of those services even include a foot-washing ceremony to remember what Jesus did. The next day is, is Good Friday. And that's the day that we mark the anniversary of Jesus' death on the cross. Now, if you're new to church or Christianity or just checking us out or saw a link online and followed it, welcome, glad to have you with us. Maybe calling something like Jesus dying on a cross good seems a little bit strange. 
Let me suggest that, that suffering in and of itself is not good. And Jesus suffered tremendously on that cross. But the thing that was good is what Jesus did for us. It's what his death accomplished on that cross for you and me. That was good. It was good because, as we've mentioned a couple times already this morning, Jesus took our sins, and then he died in our place, and he paid the price for those sins so that you and I can be forgiven. And that's why we call it Good Friday. Holy Saturday is the day before Easter Sunday. It marks Jesus' time in the tomb. And finally, of course, we have Easter Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to celebrate this week Good Friday, a Friday morning at 10 o'clock, and of course Easter Sunday, next Sunday at 10.30 as well. And, and I hope you'll be with us for, for both of those services. I also hope you'll invite as many as you can, share those links, post the links wherever you can to invite as many as you can to join us online for those services. But Holy Week starts with this weekend, with Palm Sunday. So what's Palm Sunday all about? What is it about this event that starts this most Holy Week? Let me read for you what happened. Here's how it's described by Mark in his biography of Jesus in the Bible. Reading from Mark uh, chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside of the front door. So as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? So they said what Jesus told them to say and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. And many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of this procession, and people all around him were shouting, shouting, Hosanna, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in highest heaven. Maybe, maybe those verses are a little bit familiar to you, but maybe not. But why is, why is this so significant? Why is Jesus coming into Jerusalem at this time such a big deal? And why was it marked by such a great celebration? Well, there's at least three things. The first is because this was the, the first time Jesus had visited Jerusalem since he started his public ministry. Now, as we've been studying through the Gospel of John for the last several months here, we, we might remember that, that Jesus turned the tables in the temple in, earlier in John. So John has him in his early chapters there, sort of launching into his public ministry, but, but now he's coming back to Jerusalem. And as he enters this city, even those who aren't really sure about who Jesus is, they, they start to get the sense that something really significant is happening. They'd heard of his miracles in other places. They'd heard he'd raised the dead even. They'd heard that he was a teacher that taught with authority like none of their other religious leaders. And that wherever Jesus went, crowds seemed to gather and start to follow him. And so they were thinking and hoping that, that maybe, just maybe, 
Jesus had come to Jerusalem to, to take leadership of the entire nation, to break Israel free from the occupation of Rome and to set up a new dynasty. And so to have Jesus show up in Jerusalem, the most holy of cities, the place where the Jewish temple stood, the, the heart of the Jewish people, the anticipation was exploding. See, if Jesus was going to, to do anything, to lead anything, to declare himself as anything, if, if a revolution was going to start, it would start in Jerusalem. Another reason that this was such a big deal was that the city was already packed with people and pilgrims because it was the Passover. This was the most celebrated and holy of all Jewish events. Thousands of people would have flocked to Jerusalem and filled the streets. The, the population of the city would have swelled as much as 10 times over for the Passover. And it would have been filled with religious energy because of that. This festival, the Passover, celebrated what God did through Moses in, in leading the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. He, he sent 10 plagues and he parted the Red Sea. This was the festival in the Jewish calendar. And the third reason, finally, those who were closest to Jesus knew that right in front of them was the climax of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had been pointing them towards this moment for a long time. Everything he was doing, everything he was teaching, everything he was about was moving towards what would happen when he finally made it to Jerusalem. Luke's biography of Jesus really helps chart this out for us. So let's look at a few places together, starting in Luke chapter 9. In verse 51, Luke records for us, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Then, just a little bit later, the next chapter, John chapter 10, he says, we read that, that Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. Chapter 13, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. And then look at Luke chapter 18. Jesus, with his disciples, his closest 12, makes really clear what's ahead of him. We read that he took the 12 disciples aside and Jesus said, listen, we are going to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. And they will flog him and whip him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. That's why this is such a big deal. Jesus had been moving towards Jerusalem his entire life. This was his mission. He was, he was born to die on that cross. And this was the place where his life, his ministry, and his mission would be fulfilled. And that's why we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. This first Palm Sunday really was the beginning of Holy Week, the most important week in the history of the human race. And it's the most important week in our history, too. So then, how did the people react on that first Palm Sunday? We already read in Mark's biography that they shouted things like praise God or Hosanna, which we've sung many times this morning as well, which means save or save us. In Jesus' day, this was an expression, a high expression of praise. 
Their hopes were in Jesus. As we mentioned, the, the religious anticipation was building. The stories of who Jesus was were kind of increasing, and, and they were starting to put their hopes in this Jesus because through him they could start to see maybe, just maybe, we can be saved. Our lives can be changed. Our entire world may be revolutionized. And so as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he got the rock star treatment to the point where people were taking blankets and cutting down palm branches and laying them on the ground in front of Jesus for him to walk on, hence Palm Sunday. This was the greatest honor they could give Jesus. And it's no wonder they felt this way. Again, the people had heard all of what Jesus had been doing, and they wanted everything that they hoped he had to give. We've seen this often as we've studied the book of John so far, those first six chapters this far. They saw the miracles and they wanted the miracles for themselves. They wanted the healing. They wanted the food, the money, the jobs. They wanted health and love, marriage and children. As we mentioned and again saw in the last couple weeks as we studied the Gospel of John 2, some wanted to take him and forcibly make him king, to have Jesus go all in and lead a a military revolt against Rome so they could be free of the Roman occupation. Now, if you and I take just a minute to, to take all of that anticipation and plunk it into our day this morning, we can look to Jesus for the same things, can't we? Our, our world is filled with fear and anxiety. Many of us are, are still stressed out with the unknown. How long is all of this going to last? Many of us have had our, our job situation change, sometimes even more than once. We're missing friends and family and hugs Our kids have missed out on play dates and birthday parties and sports leagues and clubs. The the stress stress threshold has gone way up as we keep thinking about masks and hand sanitizer and, and gathering limits, and that list just keeps going on and on. And you and I, for the last year, we've been operating at such a high baseline stress level for so long that we're actually seeing people's capacity to exist and function just drop off. And burnout is on the rise. We'd welcome Jesus into this mess with fanfare too, wouldn't we? Jesus, come in, go all the way. Take care of all these issues. Get us back back to normal. But what they didn't know then and what we need to remind ourselves of now is that Jesus had his sights set way higher than anyone expected. They hoped for a revolution, but the one Jesus was bringing was bigger than they could have imagined. They called out to Jesus, save us. They called for a rescue, but Jesus was bringing an even bigger rescue. They cried out, Hosanna, save us, but Jesus was bringing an even better saving. See, for Jesus, going all in meant God in human form laying down his life on the cross for the sins of the world in order to save it and to save the world at its greatest point of need to ultimately save the world. See, what what Jesus taught is that the biggest crisis is bigger than a virus. It's bigger than our finances. It's bigger than any physical threat we face. 
Our problem, this biggest crisis, is the virus of sin that separates us from God. And unless we're somehow cured of that, we face an ultimate spiritual death, one that will last into eternity. But Jesus brought that cure. God brought healing to our greatest point of need. He brought it then, and he's bringing it now. And that's why we're going to take time this Palm Sunday to remember Jesus doing just that, to bringing that healing. And we're going to remember it just the way Jesus asked us to remember it. We want to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper has other names, communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, but no matter what it's called, this is Christianity's greatest sacred act, one of the greatest sacraments that we have. And it might not seem like much if you're, you're new to church or checking us out for the first time, or, or maybe it's just become routine to you. you. Take a little cracker, take a piece of bread and, and a bit of wine or grape juice, and we're encouraged to think about all that Jesus has done for us. But the elements, they're, they're not just symbols. They're, they're so much more than that. That very first Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus himself during that very first Holy Week. On the night before he was crucified, just before he went to the cross, Jesus gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal together. And we, we read that that's what he sent his disciples ahead to prepare for. But then Jesus took this sacred meal of the Jews and he put himself right in the center of it. Let me read what happened from Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 19. Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Ever since, the celebration of the Lord's Supper has been one of the church's most sacred acts. It's designed to help us remember one thing, the death of Jesus on the cross, and just how unbelievably thankful we should be for it. That's actually what the word Eucharist means. It means thankfulness. And so this is a time of, of thankful remembrance. But this remembrance is different than maybe we might think. Last weekend, uh, I think it was Saturday, I was going through some boxes that said Sean's stuff on the outside, boxes that I've moved at least once, probably two, maybe three times without actually opening them and unpacking them. Maybe you have one of those in your house too. And as I opened and leafed through some of these old notebooks and artwork and report cards and, and all these things, I, I looked back on my life with a variety of emotions. Uh, some of them were good. Some of them, let's say, less so. Uh, some regrets for opportunities passed by and, and maybe some grieving for, for a little bit of the life that is behind me. But when Jesus was saying to his disciples in this moment, do this in remembrance of me, He's not talking about this kind of remembering, just kind of looking back, flipping through old photographs. If we translate into English, or the word we translate into English as in remembrance is the Greek word anamnesis. It's a word that carries a, a lot of power and weight, and, and as is kind of often the case, we don't really have a, a perfect English equivalent. 
Uh, this word means to, to thoroughly engage in a thought, in a way that, that you bring what was buried in the past into the present for a dynamic encounter. Hopefully you can already see this is more than looking through an old photo album. If we take this thought, we sort of recreate it. We try to kind of relive it and, and re-experience it. This idea of doing something in remembrance here is to take something from the past and bring it dynamically into the present. And so when Jesus is calling us to do this in remembrance of me, he's saying that this is something of real spiritual significance, spiritual mystery, spiritual experience. And all of this happens when we take the Lord's Supper together. He's saying, in effect, to us, uh, do this knowing that it will bring me into your life and bring me into your heart, into your soul, in a way that nothing else can. So taking the Lord's Supper together isn't just a routine or a rhythm. It is a sacred act, and we are stepping into holy ground when we do it. And so while the bread and the cup are symbols for us, they're not merely symbols. They represent for us the body and the blood of Jesus. The body and blood that was sacrificed for us, the, the, the life, the perfect life that knew no sin, offered in our place are for our very imperfect lives that are filled with brokenness and emptiness and heartache and sin. I don't know about you, but as I was preparing this week and even reading through the, this message this morning and, and trying to let it soak in, I need that right now. I need to, to take in Jesus and remember in a real, dynamic, life-altering, changing way all that he's done for me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if, if to you the bread and cup don't represent the body and blood of Jesus for your life, if that's not something uh, you, you've yet come to receive or accept, then let me just lovingly say that, that you shouldn't take and eat and drink this morning. Because this is a sacred act of the Christian faith, and so it's for those who are followers of Jesus. But I would invite you, if you are just checking us out and not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet willing to accept or receive what Jesus did on the cross for us, to stick with us. Stay with us on the stream and observe. And, and as you do, take time to reflect what you, what you do think about the Christian faith and, and what the wine and bread mean to those who embrace, and, embrace it and what it might mean for you if you choose to embrace it one day, maybe even this day. I've been taking a, a counseling course the last number of weeks, a uh, couple months now, and one of the things I've learned is that it's really easy to not think about something that you don't want to think about. Maybe that sounds obvious, but uh, in some of our assignments, I've been forced to, to go back and think about, okay, how do these events shape my life? And so if maybe you've, you've walked away from faith or never really thought about faith, you've just sort of shoved it off as something else, I'll invite you just to take a few minutes and, and think about it. Come up with answers of, of why I don't believe this, why I've rejected this, why I've walked away from that. Because here's what all of this means. Here's what the bread and the cup means. It means forgiveness. Forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross. And I know that every single one of us has something, at least something, maybe a few somethings in our lives that we want to be forgiven from. 
that every one of us has things in our lives that leave us feeling guilt and shame. Here's one way I heard forgiveness described this week, and I'm indebted to, to Pastor James Emery White for much of this morning. But, but picture this. Imagine all of us wanting to be forgiven, but we first sort of need to get a little bit organized. And so every one of us, we get in a big, long line, and as we get to the front of the line, we, we give our name to the person at the table, and we have to describe our worst sin so that we can be forgiven of it. And then our, our name, along with that sin, is written on a name tag, and we get to wear it. Up steps to the table, Bob. person at the table says, what's your name? He says, my name's Bob. He says, okay, Bob, what's your most awful sin? And he says, well, I stole some money from my boss once. So the person takes a marker and writes, Bob, embezzler on the name tag. Slaps it on Bob. Next comes a woman. What's your name? She says, Mary. Mary, what's your most awful sin? Mary says, well, I've, I've slandered some people. I've said things that weren't true, and I, and I just didn't like them, if I'm honest. So the person writes, Mary, slanderer, on her name tag. Slaps on her shirt. The line goes on and on. Then it's my turn. I get to step up to the desk. I tell them my name, Sean. What do I write next to it? Where do I even start? I've got anger. Sometimes there's, there's like hate bubbling up in me from that anger. I look at my past. There's lying. There's lust. There's pride. There's greed. There's all these things. So let's just say with big capital letters, Sean, sinner. There he is. The process goes on and on until every single one of us has our name tag and our sin. But then Jesus walks up. And his sin? There aren't any. There's nothing to write on his name tag other than his name. And Jesus starts walking up and down the line where the rest of us are standing, and he steps up to Bob and says, Bob, let me have your name tag. He takes it, puts it on himself, comes down the line. Mary, let me take that one too. Sean, let me take yours. And he goes all the way down the line, name tag after name tag, until he is covered with name tags and awful sins. And then Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus dies with those name tags and those sins covering his body. And his body is broken and his blood is shed and it washes away every sin but keeps every name. And what's left for everybody, everybody, no matter what you wrote on that name, on that tag, is just your name. That's, that's what we're celebrating. That's what, what Jesus did for us. And we're celebrating, accepting, and receiving that incredible gift. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you want to accept that gift for yourself. 
Or, or maybe you, you grew up in or around church and were turned off or hurt or beaten or broken by people who said they were Jesus followers or leaders, and yes, even pastors. If I may, can I say on their behalf, on my behalf, I'm sorry. I am not perfect. I have made mistakes. I have hurt people. I have misrepresented Jesus. But please, 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 for the best look at the Christian faith, don't look at me, but look to Jesus himself. If you've got this morning a stirring in your heart that it is time to come to Jesus, that you've tried so many other things. You've tried to earn forgiveness in other areas. You've tried to earn meaning and purpose and value some other way, and you still feel far from complete. You still feel like something's missing. Maybe it's finally time to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers us from that cross. And you know how you can start or how you can restart that relationship with Jesus and accept his gift of forgiveness? It's actually quite simple just have to say, yes, Jesus. I need you. I cannot do this on my own. Forgive me. Make me new. Thank you for what you did on that cross for me. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers in this moment. Just start with your yes. If you're saying that yes for the first time or again for the first time this morning, I'll encourage you to, to write it in the chat. There'll be a little button there too that, say, that will give you the opportunity to, to declare that you are saying yes and, and we would love to celebrate that with you. And maybe if you said yes for the first time, then you can uh, take these elements for the first time with all of us as well. And so for all who can, let's take the bread and the cup together with full appreciation of what Jesus has done for us. First, the bread. We've got these lovely prepackaged communion cups here. Let's take and eat the bread together as a community of faith. Then we'll pause and reflect for just a moment to remember and thank him. Let me, let me pray for the bread. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that you went to the cross so that I am, I am no longer Sean Sinner, but I am Sean, child of God. We've, I, I've you know, taken communion so many times. I've been through Easter so many times, but every time I need to hear that new again, I need to be reminded of that truth. Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us. Let's take, reflect, and remember, and thank him. Now, the cup. There's a, a hymn that Vernon and Idell are going to lead us into to close in just a minute. And it says this. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I think for me, my eyes can become closed to this and I can, can take it for granted. We can stop looking at the Lord's Supper and we can stop seeing the incredible act that was done on our behalf, this incredible gift that was given. And so let's take and drink and we'll have a moment to, to remember. Let's do that as a family of faith, a community of faith. Let's take and drink together. Jesus, thank you for your blood shed for us. Thank you that you stared down Jerusalem, that you knew what your mission was, and, and even though it wasn't pretty, it wasn't nice, even though you, you questioned in the garden, God, is there any other way? You were still perfectly obedient, and you went to the cross for us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness that comes with us. Jesus, give us new life through your, through your death. We cling to those verses that say you will live in us, that the Holy Spirit will live in us and change us and make us new and conform us to, to your image so that we might uh, tell others and, 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 and point more to you. We thank you for your body and blood. We thank you for the